0: It's been almost two weeks since the public health emergency expired. Are there any issues yet to be resolved that are flying under the radar? Shoot me a note. My email is bleonard at politico.com. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services doesn't think an appropriations bill mandating Medicare-covered telehealth through 2024 applies to services offered by hospital-based physical and occupational therapists and speech-language pathologists. It set off a firestorm from providers. The agency said it's offering enforcement discretion through the end of the year, but providers are contesting CMS's interpretation of the law. CMS has left what it would do after 2023 unresolved, as well as how long skilled nursing facilities and home health agencies could bill for telehealth therapy services. And one big thing I'm watching for the rest of the week is the House vote Thursday on the Halt Fentanyl Act. The legislation would permanently schedule fentanyl and related substances as Schedule 1 under the Controlled Substances Act and boost research into the drugs. President Joe Biden has backed key portions of the bill, but also called on Congress to add language allowing HHS to remove or reschedule substances found not to have high abuse potential. Two Democrats on the Energy and Commerce Committee voted for the act earlier this year, so it'll be interesting to see if more join them. And in an attempt to cut healthcare spending, the Mayo Clinic issued an ultimatum to Minnesota Governor Tim Walz and Democratic lawmakers. Megan Vesterly joins me to explain.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So Mayo Clinic recently issued an ultimatum to Minnesota's governor and legislature over a proposed health affordability board. What's going on?
1: Mayo Clinic earlier this month basically issued this ultimatum to Governor Tim Walz and Democratic lawmakers. Democratic lawmakers had proposed establishing a healthcare affordability board, which would oversee health care cost growth in the state. They would be responsible for setting a cost growth benchmark, and then they would be responsible for enforcing that benchmark. So essentially, this was an effort to contain healthcare cost growth in Minnesota in line with legislation that we've seen in other states. Now, Mayo Clinic was none too happy about this bill, along with another proposed nurse staffing bill. So they issued this ultimatum basically saying, you know, kill these bills or we are going to back out of $4 billion in planned new hospital investments in the state. So that got the attention of Minnesota lawmakers who responded quickly by watering down the Healthcare Affordability Board proposal. So they changed that bill. So now it's just a healthcare affordability program that will look at healthcare cost growth in the state, but they won't be able to set a benchmark and they won't be able to enforce a benchmark. So essentially all of the review components, but none of the pieces that might actually force payers and providers to move the needle on healthcare cost growth in the state.
0: What are hospitals saying about healthcare cost benchmarking programs in other states?
1: Yeah, so this kind of pushback from hospital isn't unusual. We've seen the healthcare industry broadly express, I'd say, some degree of skepticism to outright opposition to these proposals in other states. Massachusetts is the state that has had a healthcare cost growth benchmark in place the longest. There's dates back to 2012, but there have been many other states in recent years that have implemented these programs to varying degrees. So states like Connecticut, Oregon. So this discussion has played out a little bit differently in every state where it's happened because the proposal has looked a little different in every state. But broadly, the concern the healthcare industry has is they obviously want the flexibility to be able to figure out costs on their own. They don't want to be restricted to some sort of benchmark. Now, it's worth noting that these benchmarks aren't necessarily binding. This isn't hospital price caps or any anything like that. But these are targets that the healthcare industry is supposed to work toward. Healthcare payers and providers are supposed to be taking this benchmark into account when they're having contract negotiations. So it's sort of a goal to drive down bending. Even so, we've seen hospitals in other states raise concerns about these benchmarks. For instance, Massachusetts is considering, you know, making some changes to its healthcare cost growth benchmark program after 11 years. Hospitals there have been saying, yes, we agree that spending more than a decade, we need updates to this program. But they're saying like, we basically need more wiggle room on this benchmark. They're saying we're dealing with pandemic related costs, workforce is still an issue, we're having to pay tons of money for traveling nurses. And so hospitals argue that they are supportive of the benchmark concept, but they're concerned when they have these costs that are being taken into account in the benchmark, which they say they don't have any control over. And their fear is that they're going to be penalized, for increasing costs. It's worth noting that some of these proposals do allow states to impose you know, some sort of penalty on payers or providers if they feel like they are not working toward meeting these cost growth benchmarks. But we've actually only seen a state go after a healthcare entity once in relation to all of this, and that's in Massachusetts. The state basically worked with Mass General Brigham to develop a performance improvement plan on their cost growth so they didn't actually face any financial penalties, though the state is allowed to impose a certain amount of financial penalties. So essentially, this all comes down to the healthcare industry wants the freedom to be able to do what it wants. Lawmakers want to contain costs. And those two things are often at odds.
0: Yeah, so on the lawmaker front, what are lawmakers and state officials saying about the pressure they've been receiving from hospitals on these proposals?
1: It's really interesting. So publicly we've seen, especially the state health officials who are in charge of these programs, who are working on these programs, you know, I think broadly they want to have collaborative relationship with hospitals, right? Because in, in some cases there are some financial penalties states can impose. Like broadly, states are reliant on the healthcare industry, you know, hospitals, insurers, whoever, to take action on. On healthcare cost growth sort of of their own free will, because these financial penalties are pretty limited. So on one hand, you have this desire among state officials to have a good collaborative working relationship with with hospitals and, you know, talk to state officials in some of these states like Rhode Island, Connecticut, Oregon, the health officials, they will tell you that they do have a collaborative relationship with hospitals. But talking to national healthcare experts who are watching these programs, there's sort of a fine line here, right? On one hand, the healthcare industry needs to be the table. They want to be involved in these conversations. They know if they're not, the state is just going to make decisions on their own. But from the state's perspective, they have to be cautious to guard against the healthcare industry imposing so much pressure that the cost growth benchmarks are perhaps not as ambitious as they otherwise would have been. So I think broadly we've seen state officials sort of try to balance these two things, you know, knowing that they need this relationship, but also wanting to make sure that they're not becoming beholden to the healthcare industry and all of this. Now, the one thing I'll say about state lawmakers, You know, I was talking to a lawmaker in in Massachusetts and, you know, she acknowledged this tension that state lawmakers really face because in many cases, the healthcare industry and especially hospitals are major employers in states. And so, you know, lawmakers are trying to balance their desire for economic growth and opportunity. I mean, for instance, in Minnesota, Mayo's Clinic in Rochester, they have planned a ton of investment like that is a key employer in that community. And so lawmakers are trying to balance the fact that this is a business that is providing jobs to the community. But at the same time, they are a health care provider that may be contributing to cost growth in the state. So they've been trying to sort of balance those two priorities. So I
0: understand that California is in the process of setting up a benchmarking program. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, California's program is pretty interesting in that they have established this sort of stepped up enforcement mechanism. So every other state, their goal is to sort of start out this cost growth benchmarking process collaboratively with the healthcare industry. But they do have this process, you know, where they can then bring in payers or providers if they feel like they're contributing to the cost growth increases the cost growth in the state. And then if they feel like payers or providers really aren't taking steps to remedy that, they can impose escalating financial penalties. So this is something that, for instance, you know, Massachusetts has said it might want to explore sort of a different financial penalty structure where there really is this incentive for the healthcare industry to actually make growth toward these targets, you know, if they aren't complying. And so, you know, California's program is in the process of being stood up. They've only had a couple of initial meetings. They haven't set their benchmark target yet. But I know a lot of states are looking to California to see sort of how that program matures, because it it really could be the strongest benchmark program in the nation. And so I talked to California's Health and Human Services Secretary, you know, and he told me those financial penalties are not the first tool in the toolbox. It's the last one. But a lot of states are looking to what California is doing and saying, you know, that might be a tool that we need in our toolbox.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Of course. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese is our senior producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ahmed is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ben Leonard. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. That's Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.